Hey Rebels, yup, if you listen to this podcast, that means you're a motherfucking rebel. <laughs> Welcome, Mackin. Thank you for coming all the way here from England yeah. to Florida, and I know you've been uh, dying from the heat, but we're here. We're in air conditioning now. <laughs> yeah, it's my pleasure. You know, quick 10-hour flight, and uh, you know, I, I think I've got skin cancer in the first 10 minutes here, but we have good SPF right. lotion yeah. for you. So you'll, you'll be good. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I'm so happy that you're here. Um, I came across your TikTok about maybe six months ago and I thought you had such interesting content. I've never seen, honestly, a male bring up information that is actually really geared towards women and kind of helping mm. them understand their dating life. How did you get into this field coming from evolutionary anthropology? Yeah, everyone thinks that my content's geared towards women. That's been a complete surprise to me. I actually, I was when I first <laughs> or at started. Least we love it the yeah, most. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, when I first, um, when I first started releasing TikToks, I had no intention for it to be, you know, female centric at all. And I, and none of, if you actually scroll through my TikTok feed, you'll see that a lot of the content is actually aimed at men pretty explicitly. Like I have videos on like how to look better as a man, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I'm backed by That's science. True. Um, things on women's mating preferences. And yet, if you look at it, like anyone can check this, it's like the views on the content that's aimed towards women uh, is much higher. Uh, I have a couple theories as to why that might be. Um, I think that it's partially that TikTok, I believe, has more Western women or English-speaking women than English-speaking men on it. Right. So it might be that uh, that's that's the effect. But it could it could be that something about my content is just more appealing to to women than men. Yeah, I one thing I theorize most likely is probably that women get cheated on more. But this yeah. is the age old question. Is that true? Do men or women cheat more? Men cheat more. And we see this yeah. in study after study after study. It's not a, it's not a controversial thing to say. Yeah. It's a controversial thing to say on the Internet. Uh, but yeah. in any human mating behavior lab or any yeah. group that studies sex research, it would be one of the most replicable and expected sex differences. Basically, every study that has ever looked into this has found that men cheat more than women. And, and it's it's so many years of research and and so many different convergent forms of evidence that we can be very confident this is the case. Like some people say, oh, maybe maybe it's just that that women lie more, but then it's like, well, the studies on who's more likely to lie also show generally that men are more deceptive. Um, the rate difference is so big that even if there was a sex difference in lying, it wouldn't really account for it. We're talking about like one in four married men versus maybe like one in 10 married women. Like that's a, that's a huge gap. That's right. a huge gap. That's a, a bigger gap than we see in most sex research. And then on top of that, when you ask people, have you ever been cheated on? Heterosexual women are more likely to say they've been cheated on than heterosexual men. And then similarly, on the other side, when you ask people who are, you know, incipient mate poachers, they tend to have more success um, mate poaching men than mate poaching women. So there's all these different convergent forms of evidence that show that men cheat more than women. And the only evidence against it is like guys online saying, trust me, bro. So. Well, that's a great point. How do you quantify that data? So when you're actually looking at the data, are you just literally taking physical cheating? Are you quantifying emotional cheating? Different studies will use different methodologies. I haven't done any incidents research myself. Um, I've read, I've probably read or at least looked at every study on or every big study on the incidence of infidelity. So I'm very familiar with this research. 
And it's a good question because some studies, it's like in my research, when we were collecting a sample of people who had had affairs, Mm -hmm. we asked, have you ever had sex with someone else while in a relationship? Okay. Right. So have you ever physically cheated all the way, not kissing, not okay. Head, so you don't right? do any. Yeah, kiss. it's like oh, okay. literally. Well, because so I'm, be well, I'm, I'm an because I'm I'm an yeah I'm a, I'm I'm an evolutionary scientist, and right. for me, the rubber doesn't really meet the road until <laughs> it's actual sex right. that's happening. Right. I mean, like sometimes I don't wear a rubber. Yeah, don't right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe maybe right. no rubber is meeting the road, but um, we we do see um. That in other studies, they'll use different methodologies. So you might just ask, have you ever cheated? And then it's leaving it up to the person in question. And so some people will be like, I mean, for some people, cheating would be, pornography would be cheating or fantasizing about someone else would be cheating. Right. Um, For other people, like there are are studies that ask people, would you consider your partner giving someone else head as an affair? And it's not a big percentage, but a small percentage of people say no, that that's not cheating. Right. Um, And it's a smaller and smaller percentage as you go down the list. I mean, some people wouldn't see it as a big deal if their partner kissed somebody else drunkenly. And for right. some people, that would be a complete heartbreak and of the relationship. World. Yeah. So in my research, I think the best way to quantify it is I, I view in a way, and it's going to sound peculiar to a lot of people at home because this this isn't how they necessarily think of sexual behavior, but I view I view even things like oral sex as just part of courtship. I'm not saying that it wouldn't be cheating. I do think right. that's cheating. But mm-hmm. it's not it's not the sort of cheating that I'm that I'm studying. And I'm not I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that I would be, you know, OK with right. that in a relationship. I wouldn't be. Right. Right. But do I count it from an evolutionary perspective when I'm looking at, yeah. like, why did people evolve this behavior? I think it means something, but it, it's not it's not quite what we're interested in. Yeah, exactly. So it has to be to be quantifiable for your studies, f- physical intercourse. That's basic. what I asked That's about in the, in the last research project we did yeah. when we were collecting people. Mm-hmm. We spoke to 1,300 people from around the world. I believe it was 19 countries in the end where we were able to collect data. Mm-hmm. And um, the entry-level question was, have you ever had sex with someone else while you were in a committed relationship with someone who expected you not to have sex with other people? Right. right. So there's actually a series of questions. It's like checking that they weren't in an open relationship. If you ask those same questions, I would say a little bit differently. Um, have you had basically an emotional affair? Do you think women would be off the charts? Huh. But mm-hmm. I haven't necessarily seen data to suggest that. And if we look at things like how often do you fantasize about other people, we see that men do that more than women. So, and that's not quite an emotional affair. But mm-hmm. if we're talking about like mental cheating, mm-hmm. um, I think that sort of gets at it. It's kind of hard to imagine an emotional fa- affair with no fantasizing involved oh, because I think then it'd it, be impossible. Yeah, yeah, because then, then it's just a friendship with someone who you really like. I mean, that, that, <laughs> right. so so I so I do kind of think that if it's if it's an emotional affair, you're looking at fantasies, mm-hmm. and we see that um, men and women do both tend to fantasize, but men tend to do so more. Mm-hmm. And then if you look at you know other forms of non-physical potential cheating, I'm not saying that pornography is cheating, but if you consider it such, um, men use pornography more than women. Um, yeah, definitely. The emotional side of things is interesting because that's that's an intuition that a lot of people have that I just haven't seen yeah. proven. But uh, but I would say that the fact that so many people have this intuition suggests that there's probably some truth to it. Yeah, definitely. So when women are out there, what would you say are maybe the top 
three or five things that you can tell within five minutes of meeting a man. And then we can also do women too, that you're just like, okay, this guy might have a cheating background. Three or five. So I can't say four. <laughs> you can uh, do no, more. No, no, no. I'm kidding. Um, so, so things that you can tell within five minutes of meeting someone, mm -hmm. that's pretty tough because we want to gather information. Yeah. And, I, and I would also caution people that or maybe something they would notice on their profile since, you know, online oh, dating is online so online dating profile? Yeah. Gosh, that actually is a tough question. I would Which say I was going through my girlfriend's online profile in Boston. It was bleak. It was damn near bleak. The men. So. Yeah. Well, not everyone's on these online dating yeah. things. And there's going to be, there's going to be two selective effects. Yeah. First, people who are on dating apps, I would imagine are more likely to be people who are not finding dates in real life. So you're already yeah. having a selection against the most sure. desirable people. And then on top of that, um, the most desirable people are generally in relationships because mm -hmm. they have constant competitors trying to yeah. uh, find them. I mean, I don't have a lot of insight into dating apps generally. Um, mm -hmm. I've never used one myself, so I, I, okay. I don't really know much Believe about it. Believe it or not, I have not either. Yeah, I mean, I've read some of the research on them um but in terms of telling whether someone's going to cheat from a dating app profile i think that that would be very difficult or, to do or be like you know more likely because they present themselves in a way that you know yeah i don't know i wish i wish i could give you i wish i could give you a clean answer i definitely have many things that mm -hmm. would be, would be associated with infidelity but there's stuff that you need information in order to find out yeah. it's not like quick off rip because a lot of the things that we would assume about people based on their online personas are actually mm -hmm. incorrect. Like we, uh, like how many people do we know who portray kind of a promiscuous party attitude online who are not that way at all in right. real life? And it's all image, all signaling. Um, and there's, there, so, so I, I actually, I don't put a lot of faith into those efforts. But once you know someone... There's a lot that you can use. So yeah. I would say family history is one. Mm -hmm. um, have their parents had an affair? We see that it's a, there's very high correlations there. Okay. Very predictive. Uh, are, are they sociosexually unrestricted? So are they someone who has who likes to have lots of partners, right? That's also mm -hmm. associated or lots to have, ha, likes to have lots of casual partners, let's say. Okay. That would also be associated with infidelity. Do they have a personal history of infidelity, mm -hmm. right? So have, have they ever cheated on an ex? That would also be associated with it. Um there, there, there might be some truth to the idea that if someone's, if you're dating someone better looking than you, mm -hmm. right, they might be at higher risk of infidelity. There's some research that suggests that that could be true. Yeah. That people, if there's a mate value imbalance, then the yeah. person on the higher end of that is going to be more likely to have an affair. Mm -hmm. That could be true. Going yeah. back to the family history. So are you saying is is there an actual gene that is expressed? No. So this is what a lot of people get mixed up when I okay. talk about this. They'll say, oh, what's the, you know, what's the gene for infidelity? Yeah. And it, it, it comes from high school biology where we all got this kind of, you know, this gene causes blue eyes. This gene causes green mm -hmm. eyes, da, 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 da. And it's like, mm, OK, well, uh, first, it, it's, it, it doesn't even work quite that way for eye color. Sure. Um, but it certainly doesn't work that way for behavior. I'm not saying there's not a genetic component. The mm -hmm. genetic component is actually very large. In yeah. some samples, genetics counts for most of the accounts for the most of the variation in male infidelity mm -hmm. and a large minority of the variation in female infidelity. So genes are very important here. 
but it wouldn't be one gene and it wouldn't be four infidelity. So it's really hundreds of genes that contribute small little effects to the likelihood of the behavior. So you okay. might have a couple genes that make you more or less likely to take risks. I right? see. Okay. Um, and so that gene, those genes, right, they're making tiny contributions to your risk-taking propensity. Mm-hmm. And that's spilling over and having a predictive effect on infidelity. Yeah. Right? Um, there might be a suite of genes that determines your interest in sexual variety. Right. right? Or your ability to be duplicitous. Right. There, there, mm-hmm. there might be genes that have tiny effects on those personality characteristics mm-hmm. that in aggregate end up contributing a lot to your risk of infidelity. But again, you know, are genetics important in terms of explaining human variation? Absolutely. But culture, how you were raised. Um, so you think it's a little more nurture versus the actual nature that would actually, you know, if, if a father is cheating and the son knows about it. I would say it's more... I would say it's more the genetic side, but the just based on existing evidence for men specifically, mm-hmm. I would say it's more on the genetic side. Yeah. But I'm also not discounting the fact that the father could have an influence um, just socially. And I'm also not discounting the fact that friends could have an influence, right? So this is kind of sure, the, this sure. is something that Robert Plowman, the, the the famous geneticist, calls the the nature of nurture, mm-hmm. right? Which is that your genes might have a small impact on who you're likely to become friends with. And then those friends could have an impact on who you're likely to become. So we do see a correlation where people whose friends like to have affairs tend to also like to have affairs themselves. Is there evidence that even if the child knows nothing about the parent's infidelity, that they could still, in fact, cheat because yes. of the genes? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So. And, and that, that's actually most of the evidence is that format. And the reason most of the evidence is that format is because we know about the, with the, way, with the way genetic influences are studied mm-hmm. are through twin studies. So you look uh, at, if you want to go into the science, it's like you look at fraternal twins mm-hmm. who share 50% of their DNA, and then you look at identical twins who share 100% of their DNA. Mm-hmm. And if they were both raised in the same household, they both have the same or very similar environment, let's say, mm-hmm. same parents at the very least. What's the difference in relative likelihood of similar behavior that comes with fraternal versus identical. Mm-hmm. And that you can place on genes because that's the that's the that's the difference in that case. Or or you can estimate that maybe that's that's the genetic side of things. And look, what we see is that identical twins behave more similarly than fraternal twins. I mean you can also look at the ideal is like twins separated at birth studies. I mean mm-hmm. those those are those are really cool, but that's that's not the typical way. And then we also have these right. candidate gene studies where kind of what you're talking about where you identify a gene and then you try to calculate its relative effect Mm -hmm. on the probability of a person being involved in the behavior. And we do have some candidate genes where it's like, okay, it looks like this one gene does seem to have a significant but small effect on a person's likelihood of committing infidelity. And if Mm -hmm. they have that gene, they're more likely to. But I, I would encourage people at home who kind of think that I'm talking about some kind of weird Galactica style strangeness. It's, it's like, Basically, you can't blame your genes. Bitch, well, okay? yeah, yeah, you can't. You can't blame your genes, but also, it's like, how could genetics not have effects sure. on behavior? It's like your brain is made up. So, genes code for proteins and regulatory molecules. And then those proteins and regulatory molecules build and operate your brain. Mm-hmm. So, how could genes not impact your brain? They just do. And then, how could your brain not impact your behavior? If we know anything about behavior it's Mm -hmm. influenced 
largely, by the brain. And so a lot of people, they get uncomfortable when they hear that, when they hear about the findings of behavior genetics. And so they want to argue with them out of personal discomfort or their political backgrounds. Right. They, they find it politically distasteful mm-hmm. or they're scared of it. They're scared that it might lead to some worse ideas. But all of that kind of falls by the wayside when you actually first look at the studies, which are very compelling. Um, and then also second, just think about it logically. How could genes have no impact on behavior? Right. And that's what we see is that genes have impact on the, the gene. Uh, everything is heritable to some extent. Right. And sometimes these heritability effects are very confusing. Right? So sometimes opponents to behavior genetics will say, oh, well, this study showed that like the weather is heritable, right? Mm-hmm. The weather in your environment. Mm-hmm. And they'll use that to mock behavior genetics. And it's like, okay, well, think about it a little more clearly. You can choose where you live. And so some people are going to have a genetic predisposition to being more likely to choose yeah. to live somewhere sunny, right? right? And then also there's going to be a second genetic impact on like people's memory isn't perfect, their perception of what the weather is. So uh, so a, a lot point. of this comes from, I mean, I mean, uh, uh, thank you, but it, but it really does come from behavior geneticists. I'm not yeah. a behavior geneticist. I'm, I'm, I'm repeating the work of them, which, which has certainly been influential in my thinking. And it's also, it's controversial to some, but from a scientific perspective, I'd, I'd say, I'd say it's very sound, um, yeah. that genetics has at least some impact on most behaviors, including infidelity. That's not a controversial statement. It's, yeah. it might be an upsetting one, but, but it is true. Right. Well, I don't think we should ever stop studying something because someone's upset. I yeah. mean, that'd be ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, we need to know. And I, I think it helps us understand and maybe even learn to help curb certain behaviors or modify them to, you know, get better for society and the community as a whole. Yeah. The kind of all facts are friendly approach to things. Exactly. Yeah. Going back to um, inheriting it from your parents. Does it work only from father to son? Can it be father to daughter? Could she inherit that? Or there's is it a different set? Okay. There's not a lot of evidence for that. What if the mother is a cheater? Then that seems to impact the woman. Okay. Yeah, so so are they separate the, gene sets? Yeah. So okay. there, there was this idea that maybe female infidelity evolved because of strong selection on male infidelity. Mm. That was one theory. Because okay. men seem to have more evolutionary incentives to cheat, mm-hmm. even though women also do. It's just like it seems stronger on men. And so some t- scientists were like, hmm, well, maybe, you know, maybe female infidelity only exists because of strong selection on male infidelity. Gotcha. Then if that's true, you'd expect that the genes would be the same. But it doesn't look like the genes are the same. And so kind of case closed. It's not it's not that women's infidelity evolved independently and for its own reasons. Um, OK, going way back as like the hunter gatherer groups, the first humans, I mean, this was not even a concept. Marriage was not a concept. They were, you know, a community. Well, you let me know. Is that yeah. true? We're- it's funny. A lot of people think this, but marriage <laughs> marriage exists in all human societies and cultures. OK, so, so even so the first humans. I mean, I don't know about the first, but I know that it's not a coincidence yeah. that every culture, think about mm-hmm. all the cultural diversity. We all believe right. different things. We all we have completely different beliefs, different foods, different mm-hmm. attitudes, behaviors. There's right. so much cultural variation. And then every or almost every culture has some form of marriage, right? That's interesting. And then even before marriage, maybe you don't have the cultural because it is a, it's not a purely biological thing, marriage. It's, it's, it's a cultural institution right. laid atop the biological reality of pair bonding. Mm-hmm. When did pair bonding start? Well, pair bonding certainly started with the first humans. 
Um, that, that it was already started by then. But a lot of people would say that it started long before that with, with the Australopithecines, actually. Okay. And then we, we assume by this way, based... I love that word. Yeah. Australopithecines <laughs> yes. are these... Um, that's from the kind of evolution diagram where you see like the chimpanzee or chimpanzee-like yeah. organism. And then they're slowly standing. There's some flaws <laughs> with that, um, with that picture of things, but it is mm-hmm. useful. And the Australopithecines are like the guys kind of in the middle there. <laughs> Your so you, you're saying and, they were pair bonding even like at that point? Like uh, well, there's, okay. I mean, that's that's a that's a scientifically controversial thing to say because okay. some people would disagree with it. Okay. But there are people who think that pair bonding dates that far back. Okay. Um, they base it off of morphological evidence where we see that species where there's high degrees of male multiple mating, we, mm-hmm. we, we tend to see high sexual dimorphism. So think about gorillas. Right? Okay. A male gorilla would be about twice the size of a female gorilla and much, much stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, they also have these enormous canines, right? Mm-hmm. And they have these incredible ridges on their skull. If you look at a gorilla skull, they've got this like mohawk of bone mm-hmm. and that's just to hold their jaw muscles. Now, these guys are just eating plants all day. So why, why do they have those? Or mostly plants. Why do they have those? It's not to eat meat, right? It's, it's to fight each other right. um, or at least threaten to fight each other. So we see high degrees of sexual dimorphism in okay. species like gorillas where there's high degrees of male multiple mating. Look at humans. By comparison, we do have sexual dimorphism, right? As, as most species, as most sexually reproducing species do, at least in mammals. But it's much lower than, um, than our more apish ancestors okay. and our more apish relatives that, and we're, we are apes, but, but more typically apish relatives mm-hmm. that engage in lots of multiple mating. We, we see more sexual dimorphism. And so when does that sexual dimorphism start to reduce? Well, it reduces pretty sharply. Uh, with the australopithecines, okay. where we see the males and the females, it's kind of hard to tell them apart. And so it's like, okay, well, if they were around the same size, maybe there wasn't so much multiple mating going on. Maybe there was, maybe there was a lot of romance and uh, okay. between the between them. Uh, but but you but you were saying, yeah. I, well, I just want so, but were the australopithecines were they were there multiples in their group or were they kind of hair bonding together and it would be like two australopithecines out doing their thing or were they amongst a group and would they share things yeah. sexually there's some there's some de- or we're just not totally sure yeah well well yeah i mean we're talking about skeletons yeah and we're talking course. about environment i'm not saying that, that, that i mean that i'm not a i mean i was trained in physical anthropology so yeah. i am familiar with a lot of the literature there i mean one of my one of my co-authors on 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 this on this paper that we're we're hopefully going to get published this year is a primatologist who would know mm-hmm. quite a lot about australopithecines and, yeah. and, and she trained me quite a bit on these topics but but i can i can talk based on my limited expertise and just say that it, that it's very likely that australopithecines were living in groups not mm-hmm. in kind of solo pairs as some okay. birds do and yeah there were probably there's probably extra pair mating which okay. is uh, infidelity covert infidelity and why why would we say that um or why would i say that well when we look across pair bonding lineages, mm-hmm. we see a degree of extra pair paternity in basically all of them. So oh, to give okay. you an idea, we have a very close relative that does pair bonding. They're called gibbons. They're, they're these very furry creatures um, <laughs> that have super long arms and they're apes as well. And they, mm-hmm. they swing through the trees and um, they, they form monogamous pair bonds. And it's actually quite cute. They sing duets with each other. Um, some people think this is to... Uh, broadcast their pair bond. So this is okay. the ape version of posting each other on Instagram. Um, so it's just to let everyone know like, hey, we're dating. 
Um, that's what some people think the singing is for. Some people yeah. think it's just for territorial reasons, but mm -hmm. they're like, hey, actually don't come in. If you can hear my voice right now, don't come closer. Yeah. But anyway, that this is this is this is a socially monogamous species of ape. Yeah. And I would say that humans are also a socially monogamous species of ape, not entirely sexually monogamous. Yeah. Partially sexually multiple mating. Right. And I would say that we're flexible. We can also engage in polyamory and polygamy and even right. polyandry. But what do we see in Gibbons? Well, when we do experiments, or not we as in not, not people from my lab, but when other scientists look at them and actually watch them mate in the wild, they see about one in 10 copulations, about one in 10 instances of physical mating. Okay. And you can't do this type of study in humans, thank God. Um, <laughs> when we spy I mean, on them. you could, but. <laughs> well, you could. When you spy on them, I mean, I don't know how you'd get ethics approval, but <laughs> when you spy on them, you see that about one in 10 times they're having extra pair uh tryst uh, right so oh, so that's okay. um they're they're cheating but well, when what? did the jealousy yeah. side come yeah, into things exactly. um well then on the male side um right. you you limit your reproductive rate by engaging monogamy but there are benefits as well so we see yeah. that you mentioned pooling resources cooperative breeding right. what we might call it it's like yeah. you're both working together to raise kids that's mm -hmm. that's two two pairs of hands on the job that's that's right. wonderful um there's the security benefit uh, there's the paternity certainty benefit and this is something that's interesting is that um, humans are kind of unusual in that we have concealed ovulation, meaning mm -hmm. that it's impossible to tell or or very difficult to tell when, at least socially, when a woman is at peak fertility, right? There's mm -hmm. only a few days throughout the month yep. when she's likely to be able to conceive right. and that can't be told. Well, that kind of, that also adds a benefit because if you're mating with multiple people, then you can't be with that one mate every day. And so you might actually miss your window, right? Mm -hmm. So there's there's some, that's that's one hypothesized benefit. It might not be true. Okay. Um, so there's all these benefits to monogamy and, and some of the costs that we mentioned are solved with covert infidelity in some humans. Most humans don't cheat, but many humans do. Right. You asked about jealousy. When does that start? I would say that it would start around the same time as pair bonding. And, and the reason I say that is because when we look at other pair bonding animals, they engage in mate guarding. Yep. which is probably an expression of the, I mean, this is a controversial thing to say, <laughs> um, but I think that human emotions are, I'm, I'm on the same page as Darwin was. I believe that human emotions are likely seen in other animals, right? Okay. We see their expression, right? So it's like their internal states are probably quite similar. And yeah. then with affairs, we see mate guarding. So we see, we see animals try to stop their mate from mating with other mates. Right? Okay. Um, and then we also see frankly, anger or, or what looks to be the manifestation of anger um, mm -hmm. when a male or female catches their mate engaged in extra pair copulation. So you can find videos online of like penguins, for example, monogamous penguin species, where the male catches his girlfriend with another male and um, it's attempted murder. I mean, they, they freak <laughs> out. Um, they start slapping each other, biting yeah. each other. I mean, There's if you've never, you, penguins. Yeah, I mean, you've never seen two <laughs> penguins covered in blood. Well, if you want yeah. to, you can you can look up videos. So of them you would see. So have you seen this happen with the gibbons? Like where? Oh, one that's a good question. I'll have to ask a um, okay. gibbon scientist uh, and and see if and see. I would imagine. I would. I just. Uh, I mean, we see anger in other. We see we see violence and anger across so, lineages. But going back to imagine. the penguin, real quick those murderous penguins they, i haven't seen penguin murder but <laughs> it looks like a temple, they're covered in blood they're not stopping attacking it's like jesus christ alleged yeah. murdering yeah. penguins um the female what is her purpose of going to the other mate to solve the problem of some of the costs that we mentioned earlier okay right so there's a diff so different like if they, if they that, had a chick like everything was good do you think that would ever happen yeah so different lineages okay. have different 
different lineages offer different benefits to for female infidelity. Okay. So cockatiels, for example, we see that people have studied infidelity in cockatiels. Mm-hmm. And what do they see? Well, they see that most of the time when a female cockatiel engages in an affair, she mate switches. So she, she's cheating, cheating, if, if cockatiels can cheat. And she's doing it with the intent to repair with the new guy. So it's like she's looking for a new boyfriend, mm-hmm. essentially, by having an affair. And then you see, for example, we see in flycatchers that when a female has an affair, it's usually to cuckold, and this is a kind of bastardization of the word from another bird species, but it's to cuckold the male she's with. So she mates with a male that has a bigger forehead patch or a more robust body. She gets his genes and then tricks her home male, um, her main mate, like, oh, you know, this is our egg, like, this is wonderful, but he has no idea that it's she actually mm-hmm. yeah that it's that it's actually <laughs> the egg of the of the kind of stud male that came along so so she gets kind of like a cuckoo bird well that's that's what I was actually hinting at is that oh, okay. that doesn't that does that they do something different um and and okay. I don't want to distract Sorry. by explaining the differences but but yeah. yeah that is where the word comes from that's okay. why it's cuckold and, cuck, uh, and that's where you. that's okay. where that slang comes from as well okay. um but it's it kind of a it's kind of a misnomer okay but it is it is it's accurate it's good enough now Part of my research was really looking at, are we more like cockatiels uh-huh. or flycatchers in our female affairs as mm-hmm. a species? And what did we find? Well, kind of a bit of both. There were mm-hmm. some, uh, you know, uh, we've surveyed over 100 women from around the world who have actually had affairs and we've, we've asked them why they did it. We've had mm-hmm. them rate their partners across a variety of matrices and and, and we've really investigated this quite thoroughly made sure Mm -hmm. our data was good and we found that you know some women were mate switching right there were some women that preferred their extra pair partner in every way and when you ask them in the qualitative section like hey why did you do this they're like because i wanted to marry the other guy and i did i'm engaged to my affair partner and i almost wish i could write back like congratulations that's that's wonderful (laughs) um then but then we also see women in our sample who it's like the, the other guy was just really hot and I couldn't help myself, that kind of thing. Um, I don't know about couldn't help myself, but that that kind yeah. of atmosphere of like her saying this guy was, the, the yeah, I liked my boyfriend, but this other guy was really sexy. We yeah. see that as well. So we see a little bit of the cockatiel style affair, okay. a little bit of the flycatcher style affair. However, um, the overall pattern was not one. The overall pattern was this. We saw that most women in our sample said that their affair partner was more physically attractive. And I, I don't want mm. to distract from the main finding, which is that women cheat for many reasons. Right. But most women in our sample found their affair partner more physically attractive mm-hmm. and their primary partner more parentally attractive. They were like, yeah, the guy at home, he would be a better dad. He'd be a better provider. You know, he's more he's more emotionally nurturing, that kind of thing. Yeah. The guy who I'm sleeping with on the side, I don't think he'd be a good dad, but boy, is he handsome, right? That's the kind of atmosphere that we got that was the overall impression of the data. That was the overall trend. But I re- so and that I feel sounds like that's like, true of men too. I could see it them. It was saying, true of men as okay, well in, okay. in our in our study on men. Well, we looked into men as part of the same research, and, okay. and we we found the same effect. But we also found that men cheat for many reasons. That's the main conclusion of of, of our work: is that people cheat to serve many ultimate evolutionary functions. Mm-hmm. But the overall trend is one where the extra pair partner, the affair partner, tends to be yeah. more physically attractive. Yeah. And the primary partner tends to be more parentally attractive. Maybe I'm wrong in this visceral feeling I have, but 
I feel women would be more willing to mate switch than men. That's an interesting hypothesis, and it's an interesting gut reaction because, well, David Buss, the the most cited evolutionary psychologist of all time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I have nothing. Uh, there, there's no academic rivalry here. I mean, I've had him on my podcast, yeah. and I actually just had one of his proteges on my podcast this past weekend. So I, I really am, I really, I really do have no issue with his work. But he had that same intuition. He was like, women are going to mate switch a lot more than men. And, and we I didn't think... really, in our data, we just didn't, we just didn't really see that. So I don't really know what to say. I mean, we saw men mate switching. We saw some men mate switching. We saw some women mate switching. We, we actually saw a lot of people cheating to get revenge. And that kind of messed with our data a little bit. It blunted a lot of our effects because yeah. some people, they would have sex with someone who they rated as actively repulsive, yeah. right? And it was literally just because they were upset at their primary partner. So, okay, this is why I feel this way. Obviously, I'm not a scientist. This is why you're here. But this is probably where where I've gotten a lot of my conclusions. Maybe it's not a conclusion, but my thoughts from. I have noticed men tend to cheat down. But all my women friends who have cheated tend to cheat up. And women tend to, you know, uh, think in many boxes at once. So they're very... I don't want to say the word intentional, but it probably is very intentional how they selected this person versus a guy who's like, oh, that's a hole. I'm going to fuck that. Well, it's interesting. <laughs> I, 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 the, the last sentence I would agree with, women are more selective, but women are more selective in mating generally. Yeah. Just period. Sure. Like, like I think we have more men, to lose. And that's That's exactly are. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's, there's so women's mating is so much higher stakes than men's mating yeah. for reasons that we can get into later if you wish. Sure. But to stay on this point, I had the exact same assumption that you did. Okay. I, I didn't make any specific predictions about the men's data, but in my head, I accept that I thought that maybe they would find their affair partners more physically attractive for reasons okay. I'll explain. But in my head, I was like, well, it does seem that maybe men cheat down and it does seem that many... Maybe men, women are more likely to cheat up. Then what did what did we actually find? Because I, I care about the data. Sure. I don't care about my biases or what people say on the internet. And we used very reliable instruments. Like these are these are tested scales that that we retested as part of our study. So I'm so I'm quite confident in their accuracy. Okay. We had women rate the person women and men rate the personality of their affair partner and the personality of their primary partner, the overall desirability of their affair partner the overall desirability of their primary partner, the desirability as a co-parent of their affair partner and of their primary partner and physical attractiveness for both as well. Mm -hmm. Women did not find the personalities of their affair partners more attractive. They did not find the overall Mm -hmm. desirability of their affair partners to be higher. They did not find their affair partners to be better potential co-parents. The only thing that we saw was that most of the women preferred their extra pair partner physically. Okay. Men, same story. Um, so men, you know, it's kind of a wash. And maybe if we maybe if we did a more in-depth look at the data and we didn't do this in our pre-registration, so I'm not inclined to, because it would seem kind of you want to stick to your pre-reg as much as possible. Right. Um, you know, you want to do what you said you were gonna do, because otherwise, like anyone can tell a fake story with data. Like sure, once you have sure. the data, you can subject it to whatever statistical analyses fit your preconceived biases and invent something. And I really don't want to do that. And if we do do anything ex post facto, we want to explicitly lay it out. Like this is what we did and why we did it. Um, 
we could remove the people, I and mean, I haven't done this, we could remove the people who were cheating to get revenge, and then maybe oh, you'd see the that's effect. That's a good point. That's maybe a good you'd point. see the effect you're talking about. I think women cheat for revenge far more. And maybe they cheat down for revenge, and yeah. so that's obscuring something. Because mm-hmm. we did. Uh, I did, just in looking at the data, it was like, oh, it does seem like a lot of the women who are cheating for revenge are the ones who are cheating yeah. down. But at the end of the day, men and women both seemed to cheat up and down in general. Okay. But on physical attractiveness, they cheated more up than down. And on parental attractiveness, they cheated more down than up. Yeah. And that speaks to the basic idea, which is like female flycatchers tend to mate with more robust and handsome males. Yeah. And women or human females mostly tend to do the same thing. Uh, more more handsome, robust males. And there are a lot of findings that suggest this. I mean, we, we even have studies... Um, suggesting that men with broader shoulders are more likely to be extra pair mates, right? Oh, so it's okay. like um, it's like physical attractiveness seems to be the only way that women cheat up, but men also cheat up. I also think that on the whole, like men cheat down thing. I, I don't even know if I should say this, but I feel like women are so supportive of each other that, like, when one of them gets cheated on, the first thing they're gonna do is like go to the Instagram of the girl oh, yeah, of and be like, "Oh, she's so ugly! I can't believe <laughs> well, I can't believe he left you for this." And it's like, can you point. really not believe it? Like, can you really not believe it? Yeah, yeah. Because oftentimes that's not actually like women will right. hype each other up more. And this is so anecdotal. I genuinely don't know if there's a sex difference here, but I feel like I have lots of female friends. I have lots of male friends. Yeah, and women seem to be much more like smart and supportive during emotional crises. Whereas men will be like, Oh man, like his car is a lot nicer than yours. I can see why she drove off with it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a great point. And it also, the, the good looks is subjective, obviously across all human beings. I think, and maybe I'm wrong with what I'm trying to interpret from you. Maybe it's the sexual attractiveness that causes them to cheat or or what they perceive as sexual attractiveness that cannot be quantifiable, like the actual cheating person. And then obviously the other person who's looking at it is like, bitch, do you see what you're you're touching? It could yeah. be a it could be a novelty effect where yes. it's like there because we do see that sexual desire goes down mm-hmm. over the course of a committed relationship sure. for a variety of reasons. And so it could be that like the new person is exciting. We'd certainly expect that with men. And that could be creating the effect. We tried to set up our instruments in a way that I don't I don't think we'd see that. Yeah. But we could. Well, um, there's a famous, uh, he's from Duke University, Dan Arles. I think, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm saying his last name wrong. Um, but he's a um, forensic psychologist. He wrote this amazing book called Predictable Irrationality. And they did a study where they basically had men and women select certain options when they were masturbating. And they basically selected options that were so novelty, so out of the realm of what they would have chosen if they otherwise were not basically horned up. Yeah. And so I do think that that could be a huge underlying factor to, especially for men. Yeah, we see more novelty seeking in men than women. That's a really well replicated sex uh, novelty seeking sexually we see that more with men than women and that's yeah. across there there's so many studies that show this in so many different ways i really don't think it's worth yeah and i don't think it's i don't think it's worth arguing with but at the end of the day we saw the same effect in women where we don't see the same sexual novelty seeking not to the same extent women right. are women are much less driven by novelty um across studies but i'm not saying i mean some scientists will make it sound like men are polyamorous and women are monogamous and it's it's that's not the truth no. 
but there is a higher desire for sexual novelty in men than women. And it seems to date back to our mammalian biology mm -hmm. where a man can impregnate multiple women at one time, but a woman can only be pregnant with one man at a time. Right. And so there's a benefit towards novelty, EO ipso, novelty for its own sake that is not present in, um, yeah. for female mammals. But there's still other benefits to novelty. I just it's had just... like 10 <laughs> thoughts at once. But let me go back to um, impregnating uh, the woman. She can only get pregnant once, obviously, during or that time. one man at a time. At a time, correct. Yeah. Where Except did, in very circumspect. Oh, it's still right. Yeah. Um, where did that need to know it was your child come from? Goes back to the monogamy thing. Okay. Think about this from a game theory perspective. If you're a male and you're going to be monogamous, as most males are going to be at some point, mm -hmm. like most men are not going to cheat on their wife or, or at least a slight majority of men. Maybe it's maybe it's a maybe maybe, you know, the data is wrong. And mm -hmm. it, but it would, even if it was a majority, it would be a slight majority of men. If you're going to invest in hunter gatherer groups, probably four years in most groups, but which is a lot of time yeah. in, in, you know, um, in Western industrial I don't know. I don't know how to capture. I don't know how to capture a term that would capture basically everyone who is raising their kids for a market economy mm -hmm. versus, um, you know, humans who live more traditionally. Mm -hmm. But people who are raising their kids for a market economy often expect to invest. And I'm just being careful with my wording here. They often yeah. expect to invest up to 25 years, maybe, right? Where it's like right. they're going to pay for their college and then their grad school. Right. They're going to invest a lot of time and money. They're going to have them on their health insurance for well, years. What, did that what, yeah, come so, from the scarcity of resources? Is that where they basically they were like, "Ooh, I can only take care of one of you. No, 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 no. It's okay. more that if a man is going to invest so much in one kid, uh -huh. it better be his. And so paternity certainty is extremely mm -hmm. important to men. Okay. Now, women don't have a paternity certainty problem. But they do have a certainty of paternal investment problem. Sure. If your man is out sleeping with another woman, how do you know that he's not going to take care of that kid? Yeah. Right? So infidelity Absolutely. is a huge threat to the relationship on both sides for evolutionary reasons. Yeah. There's a slight difference. Um, like sexual, we do see a, a really replicable difference in sexual jealousy mm -hmm. where both men and women are sexually jealous. And it varies across societies how mm -hmm. important that is. But women tend to be relatively, relative to men, more emotionally jealous. Okay. And men tend to be relatively to women more sexually jealous. So what does that mean? It's like there's the, there's the old saying of like when a woman cheats on her husband, his first question is, um, did you fuck him? Right. And when a man cheats on a woman, her first question is, do you love her? Do you love right? her? Right. So that's the stereotype. Yeah. It's not really true, but it's true enough. It gets at it gets at an underlying sex difference that's quite interesting and very explicable yeah. by evolutionary psychology. And I'm not an evolutionary psychologist, but a, a lot right. of the things they say are, are bang on. We do see an association between narcissism and infidelity mm -hmm. and the kind of paradox, not paradox, the kind of interesting thing about narcissism is that it's a lot of projected confidence and a lot yeah. of internal doubt so there, there there could be a thing where insecure people are more likely to cheat i also do think there's something to the idea that men and women who aren't used to being pursued are maybe more vulnerable to mate poaching um, um like if yeah, you've been if you've point. been hot your whole life it's like rejecting people is just part of life and so yeah. it's easy but if you're someone who's mid and like you randomly get approached 
maybe that's so exciting that you get swept up in it and you end up having an affair. Yeah. I don't know, but that's not a data thing. That's literally the, now I'm just talking. I'm oh, just, right. you know, that's just, <laughs> this is kind of what I think. So when it comes to women, what are the type of women that tend to cheat the most? Let's, let's talk about the type of women versus the type. I would say that someone who is sociosexually unrestricted, uh-huh. um, scores high on dark triad traits, mm-hmm. has a family history of infidelity, mm-hmm. is higher mate value than you. Um, uh, okay. Right, so they have if, the girl, if the girl has... Yeah, I would say know. that those are... I mean, everyone wants a everyone wants a hot girlfriend until it's time to have a hot girlfriend. I mean, it's like they've got options. I actually that I find men in general are more willing to put up with basically bad behavior because they're hot. Of course. I mean, I mean, but it seems to start a bell curve when they get a little bit older. So, like, yes, they want it sexually, but maybe if they're older and a little more um, put together, financially stable, whatever the case may be, they're a little more unwilling. They've to learned their it. lesson. Yes. I think it's a, probably learned their lesson effect. But one thing yeah. that we do see is that mate value mm-hmm. is a construct with many components. Yeah. So your looks are part of your mate value. Mm-hmm. But also, what else do you bring to the table? Right. If you're yeah. just being frank, I mean, nothing against having mental illness, but like if you're, if you have some kind of personality disorder or you're mentally yeah. ill, that adjusts your mate value down sure. a little bit. If you, are uneducated that adjusts your mate value down a little bit mm-hmm. um if you have some kind of you know disease that I, again i'm not i'm not saying this is how it should be i'm just saying how we see how it, it is, is in practice yes. it's just it's mm-hmm. just what it is yep. we see that there are all these things that go into how much people want to date you mm-hmm. and looks is one of them yeah and if you have more of any of the things you can get away with less of all the other things it's just a fact. Yeah. If you are super hot, people will put up with way more bullshit from you yeah. than if you're ugly. Oh, pretty privilege and, and, is yeah. real. And if you're, <laughs> but on the other side, if you've got an amazing personality, right? You're hilarious, you're kind, you're loyal, mm-hmm. um, you're, you know, you're fun to be around at the right times, but you can also be supportive and calm. You got all yeah. these traits that people almost universally express to be desirable. Right. Then you can get away with being a lot less good looking and still get dates. And it's the same thing with money and status and all these other things that you bring to the table. Um, I find that's actually more valid for men. So you could be maybe average or maybe a little above average, but if you have a great sense of humor, you could pull a nine or a 10 or an eight, you know, what, whatever you think exists. But I do not find that on the flip side with women. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know if there's data to, yeah. to understand well, that. I would say in a general way, you're right. In, a, in an individual case, you will be incorrect because there are individual cases sure. of ugly women Average. who have hot boyfriends. That can happen. And yes. there, But uh, is there more ugly men with hot girlfriends? I would say yes. Yeah. Um, I would say men on average, just going by the opposite sexes ratings, men are less physically attractive than women mm-hmm. to women. Yeah. If that makes sense. So, you know, a man might find half of women attractive physically, whereas a woman might only find like a tenth of men attractive physically. I think more what I'm saying is that they would, a woman be more willing to kind of wait and see with an average man. Yeah, take into account other factors. Yeah, I'm yeah. agreeing with you. I'm yeah. saying that, that that is... But a man would take one look at her and be like, nah, but if he heard her personality, then he's like, yeah. maybe. Women's mating 
is more complex than men's mating. Mm -hmm. Men tend to select highly for physical attractiveness. And this is basically no matter how you measure it, men care more. The only way that you can measure it where women seem to care more is that women are pickier with looks. So women find a much smaller percentage of men to be sexy. Yeah. But in every other way that you could, and that's interesting, and we can talk about why that might be. Yeah. But in every other way that you could measure it, women care more about things other than looks and men care relatively more about looks by comparison. Right. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to this one, I actually find interesting. I actually have a friend. She's, um, and I believe you said your girlfriend was tall too, but I find women who are very tall, even if they're beautiful, actually still have just as hard of a time if a girl was average and normal height. Yeah, Average looks. And why is that? Because women tend to like Taller men. I personally am not one of those people. I actually have no problem with the short kings. I'm, I'm just going to put that out there. Shout out but... short kings. Yeah. There's some data that they're more romantic to yeah. compensate. I mean, so. I don't want someone like under five foot. It's a little rough, but I mean, I'm just saying in general. <laughs> yeah. Just just do a drive by on those guys right now. Just randomly be like, hey, I'm fine with short king, but Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, there is a limit. Come on. Yeah. It's, um, but why is it that men get... Uh, like literally, she is a glamazon. She's a beautiful woman, but because she's so tall, most men are just like, "Whoa." Well, I wouldn't say that's true. So here's what here's what we okay. see, just from a data perspective. I'm not. Well, that's I'm definitely not, how we feel. Yeah. And I I'm I'm, not demi- I consider I'm not, myself tall, but not. I'm I'm not I'm I'm not breaking five ten. I'm five eight. Yeah. No, my girlfriend's my girlfriend's five nine. I'm. So with heels, she's over six foot. Yeah, she says <laughs> that she says that I'm like six two, but I'm not six two. I'm I'm catfishing a six two. Um, I, I'm, uh, I'm, you're definitely over six feet. Yeah, I'm definitely yeah, over six okay. feet. I, I actually okay. don't know how tall I am. I, I think I'm around six one. But in yeah. any case, um, but I do remember when I met her. I met her at a pub, and I was wearing boots that have like a three inch sole. So um, British of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and you know, I've got the spiky hair as with well. With the turtleneck. And so, like, sometimes with the turtleneck. <laughs> um, not 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 in uh, not in fucking Boca Raton. <laughs> I was going to say, if you were be, that here, yeah, bro, I'd be, actually, I'd be I outside on the sidewalk it. dead. Well, it's sheer. It's, <laughs> it's sheer. It's fine. Um, but anyway, yeah, if I showed up in a sheer turtleneck, I think that would horrify everybody involved. <laughs> but in any case, I remember meeting her and I was mm-hmm. probably like, just, just being honest, if I'm wearing three inch, if I'm wearing three inch <laughs> boots and I've got spiky hair, right. And I've got good posture. I'm probably coming across as like six, five. Right when she yeah, meets me, definitely. And then later, I I basically invite her to my place. I greet her at the door barefoot, right? She's like, um, oh. this is this is like you know this is this is this is like a week later. Greet her at the door barefoot. She's wearing like Nikes that have like a pretty big heel, and I'm yeah. like fucking eye to eye with her. I'm like, <laughs> oh my god, like I feel like such fraud. Um, but in any case, did she yeah. mention it right away or no? Okay. No. You, no. Do you feel she felt it? it? Uh, yeah, for sure. Okay. I think I think she, I think she was disappointed. I think it would have been better if I was six foot five, but it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. You can't have everything. You can't have everything. Um, so in any case, um, height and mate selection. We see that mm-hmm. women have a very strong bias towards taller males. Mm-hmm. Men have a slight bias towards average women, and the slight bias towards the strong bias towards taller males is pretty explicable by male male violence. So we mm-hmm. see that across mammals, female mammals generally have a preference for larger males all else being equal um because larger males are more formidable in a violent encounter and violence is violence is a part of nature so i'm not saying that's what explains 
women's preferences for height now and women's height preferences are more flexible across cultures than many people would think. Sure. But I would say that all else being equal, if there are enough resources and environment, then women will generally, and assuming there's no niche reason in the local ecology why height is a disadvantage. I mean, there are some groups where being larger actually obstructs hunting ability. In these mm. groups, we see a, a concomitant, a yeah, a concomitant lowering of the preference for height. Sure. But all else being equal, no, you know, niche ecological mm -hmm. variables. Um, yeah, women prefer taller guys, and this, and women prefer larger guys overall. Broader guys are also more attractive. Yeah. Girthier guys overall more attractive. So yeah, we see a preference for size in women. And then the other way we don't see that same preference, we see a preference for averageness and it's a very slight preference. So okay. a woman can get away with being quite tall. A woman can get away with being quite short. Doesn't seem to affect her mating prospects very much in practice, mm -hmm. but average does have a slight advantage, at least in Western samples. Why would this be? Well, there are certain health benefits that come with being taller mm -hmm. as a woman, but there are also health costs. So there's a suggestion that there are more, that, that, for example, taller women are more likely to suffer from reproductive cancers. Right? Oh, really? So, yeah, okay. so there, 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 um, and, and this, this is not my area, so I could be speaking yep. out of school here, but my, from my brief reading of that literature, it mm -hmm. seems that men have, and I'll probably make a video on this some, at some point, and then I'll really dive into it and try to figure out what's going on. But from what I've read so far, it does seem that men have a preference for average height women. And that's because women's health seems to go on a bell curve where mm. the, average, the average height woman is, is the healthiest. In men, we don't seem to see a bell curve. It seems to be that taller men are generally healthier. I see. All else being equal. All else being equal, yeah. I think also another thing that I know I personally look at is your face being symmetrical. Yeah. I guess maybe is the root of that possibly just you look healthier? Yeah, it's healthier. Okay. I mean, so we see yeah. that people who have a variety of genetic disorders tend to have high fluctuating asymmetry. And that means that there's something to select away from in your yeah. reproductive decisions. It's like, oh, you know, asymmetry associated with the disease. Maybe I pick for symmetry. And then you get the spectrum of selection. Maybe, maybe that's part of it. Mm -hmm. um, it could also be a cue to healthy, unobstructed development. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I was a boxer growing up and so I completely, not completely, but I fucked up my face a few times and <laughs> in, in, in different scenarios. Yeah, um, yeah. and did you get the cauliflower ear? Your no, it looks okay. No, but there I did go. consider, I mean, one of my ears has been yeah. taken down here, um, but I didn't get the cauliflower ear. That's more typical of wrestlers. Um, I did want it. I thought it was cool. I considered slamming my ear in a door because I heard, yeah, cause I heard you could get it that way. And I was like, oh, I want to look as tough as possible. But as a teenager, of course I did. Yeah. Um, uh, but no, I didn't get cauliflower ear. I did break my nose um, a little bit. Like I have to get my glasses adjusted so that way they sit straight because otherwise they'll be lopsided because my gotcha. nose is pointing in one way. So, you know, these little as asymmetries, it's like if it's me versus the version of me that didn't have those insults. Yeah. Think about it from an evolutionary strategic perspective. One of those guys got out of life unscathed. The other one took damage, right? He yeah. lost a few fights. Yeah, yeah. Um, which guy is... He either avoided fighting somehow or he managed to get out unscathed. Whatever the reason being, he is healthier now. He's taken mm. less damage. That yep. could be a reason why we see symmetry. But the symmetry preferences are confusing because it seems that symmetrical faces are more attractive even when you can only see half the face, which means that there might be a mediating factor. Mm, that's that's an interesting So you can't point. tell how symmetrical they are, but the symmetrical face is still more attractive? Yeah. Bizarre, but possibly caused by an underlying mediator. 
So for example, how could this possibly be possible? Like that, that, that just sounds crazy. Like how could symmetry be attractive when you can't see the symmetry? Maybe people who are symmetrical have some underlying cues to quality, like mm-hmm. underlying genetic yeah. quality per se. And I mean quality in terms of robustness. Obviously everyone's genes are equal and there's no, mm-hmm. there's no moral thing here. Every, right. I, I do believe everyone's equal. Yep. But in terms of just survival of the fit, fittest style robustness, maybe there's an underlying cue to robustness that's causing multiple traits. And so it's those traits that we're actually picking up on, not the symmetry. I, right. I, think, I think that based on my, my reading of the entire literature, I would say that, that symmetry is attractive, yeah, to, to basically everyone. But it's not a huge factor. It's a small effect. Size. Yeah. I mean, like Tom Cruise was a heartthrob. He's not particularly symmetrical. Ryan Gosling is not particularly symmetrical. You look at all these actresses and actors and it's like, yeah, lots of them are symmetrical, but some of them are asymmetrical and they're still considered very attractive. Sometimes, that's a great point. Sometimes I feel they pump the celebrities' faces so much to you, like digitally, that they tell you they're attractive and that you somehow internalize you're it. Getting you're getting gaslit. Yeah. I, and they're, cause I have had certain, ty- uh, certain celebrities where people are like, oh, she's so beautiful. Everyone says she's beautiful. And I look at them and I'm like, could be female, female competition. So we see <laughs> Maybe. that. Well, we see that women will. Even with men, I, I've seen it before, but yeah. sometimes I. I'm being I, cheeky here. Yeah. <laughs> there, but, there are some cases where women will say that an attractive woman is unattractive. Right. Because they want to damage her reputation. If, if Ryan Gosling walked down the street and we didn't know who he was. He would be attractive. Yeah. For me, he would be average. Average? Yes. You think Ryan Fucking Gosling yes, is I average. I do. I think he's average. Now, someone like Brad If Ryan Pitt. Gosling is average, we're all complete. We may as well just stop dating. Okay. So like, who, everyone is screwed. Like, if Ryan Gosling is so, average. So, is that, your, is that your man crush? No, it's not my man crush. But, for example. Well, who in, would be your man crush? In my. Who's your um, Fine, Ryan Gosling. No, no. In, um, but in literally in my. And this wasn't my suggestion. It was actually my, my yeah. director, Candace Blake's suggestion. We looked for. It was like, okay. How can we check that women know how to rate attractiveness? Okay. And we're like, mm, let's just have them rate the attractiveness of Ryan Gosling, right? So we check that they're <laughs> using the scales correctly. And basically every woman was like, yeah, he's a 10. Yeah. He isn't, for me, he's not a 10. Okay. Well, if he's average, I mean, you, you Maybe need to a little, go down obviously. the street and look at some average guys. <laughs> like, I mean, like, because that's the thing is that we kind of, uh, the we, we also judge, this is something that I've noticed. We judge for me, celebrities. Like Brad Pitt and his prime is a 10. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad that I'm glad that someone is the, um, the but if we if, the, here's the thing. But do you With think celeb- Brad Pitt's hotter than Ryan Gosling? I'm I'm a, I, I don't know if you had to. Well, if I had to guess, I would I would have I Brad would say Pitt Ryan as Gosling. Achilles. Well, I here's the thing is that I'm not attracted to men, so I'm speculating. I know, but you can say so. Your guess is going to be more accurate than mine, and we do see some variation. But I would guess. If I had to guess, I would say Ryan Gosling because I hear about really? him. Really? But I'm going off of what I hear from women. I'm not going But I going think that's of... today. But I think if you take them both in their prime, yeah. Brad's winning. Maybe. I mean, I actually, I'm, I'm, not, I a, I'm not a Brad she Pitt. She knows. She knows. I'm not, a, I'm, not a, I'm not a Brad Pitt historian. <laughs> Do you know, Ryan Gosling can get it. Yeah. I'm just saying that if he was just walking down the street here in Boca Raton, I mean, I can immediately pick out some things that I don't find very symmetrical in his face. I think his eyes are a little close and low hanging. He kind of has a longer nose. Are we really in a position (laughs) to be like, this is just. No, I'm just saying. I'll also say this. I think that celebrities are held to a much higher standard in terms of physical attractiveness than people we see on the street. Um, This is going to sound weird, but I remember. Yes, they are. Yeah, but I remember once. So people will think, oh, they're not really attractive. But it's like, if you saw them in person, you'd be in disbelief. Like a lot of the people we see on TV. 
So I'll, I'll, I'll give a really weird example. Okay. I'll, I'll actually just say just a, just a okay. clean cut one. A lot of women will say they don't see why Pete Davidson is attractive. They'll be like, I just don't see it. Da, 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 it's because he's funny. And it's like, well, no, no, no. But in terms of like physically attractive, is he physically attractive? And it's like, they say that he's not. He's and then I'm like, you know what? Bring out the boyfriends. Let's see. Bring up all your exes on Instagram. Let's see these yeah. guys that you found attractive in the past. None of them are going to be as attractive. Like, so the, the standard for celebrities, it's like okay. they get nerfed just by virtue. It's like Pete Davidson might not be particularly handsome for a celebrity, but if if he walked into the dinner party, it's just it's just crazy. He, he's going to be better he... looking than all these all these all these girls who are saying that this celebrity, that celebrity isn't attractive. Yeah. It's like bring out the boyfriends. Let's do a head to head comparison. Let's see who's really. Okay, attractive. So here's here's my comment on that. Our pool of selection from where we grow up sometimes and I, please don't take this the wrong way. I find that you get to know their personality. You're willing to accept the flaws. I don't think Pete Davidson's a great comparison there. I think if Ryan Gosling walked into the party and then you compare it to the boyfriend, you'd be like, okay, obviously Ryan Gosling is gorgeous compared to you know, yeah, the so average how is the average. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. he's gorgeous compared to the average show. So how is average, average? show? Right. I'm just saying in general, he's a little above average, but Pete Davidson, he could walk in here. And, and we wouldn't notice. I would not. Notice. No, I mean, I, I kind of agree with that. I'm not saying that he's a stunner. I'm just saying that uh, like a Have lot you had of- a celebrity like stop you in your tracks like you thought they were so beautiful? I don't know how many you've seen, though. No, I mean, I had like this. Le- I met so, like, 50 Cent once and I, I can't remember how handsome he was. Did you see those bullet but it's holes? Also not, yeah, it's also not. Um, yeah, he probably has some fluctuating right. asymmetry as a result of terrible <laughs> yeah. his life um but so like for example i saw taylor swift in person and i i've never truly been starstruck and i'm not even a swifty and i'm fine with swifties don't come at me but when she walked in i one i didn't realize how tall she was she's like almost 5'10 mm. easily she was so slender she had such a beautiful face and she was just angelic i yep. mean I noticed her immediately. I was sitting at the bar in Spago in LA. She walked in and I literally, I've never yep. gasped towards anyone ever in my life. And she really was beautiful. Yeah. So this is what I'm talking about. A lot of men, that's actually, I'm so glad you brought up that example because a lot of men would say that they don't find Taylor Swift attractive, right? And it's like, okay, because you're celebrity nerfing, you're comparing yes. her to other female celebrities, right? Yeah. But if we compared Taylor Swift to any of the guys who say that, if we compared her mm-hmm. to any of their, this is my point. Mm-hmm. If we compared her to any of the girls they've actually dated. Of course. Right. So that's my point. It's just yeah. that like celebrities are held to such a higher standard because just to become a celebrity, you have to be so attractive, um, at least for most professions. I mean, you could be. Yes, absolutely. But, even, but it, it's funny because even the celebrities who aren't considered attractive, you, you, you don't you don't realize that they have like underlying pleasant facial quality, like the guy who played mm-hmm. uh, Dwight Schrute in The Office, right? Yes. Like he would not be considered attractive as a celebrity. But like if you look at photos of him like off, I mean, I, 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 we're kind of going going into the <laughs> woods totally here. Fine. But that's a, that's a really good example <laughs> yeah. of someone who it's like this guy is on the show as someone who's unattractive. But yeah. in real life, he would actually be considered well above average. Well above average, Dwight Schrute. I mean, if you want to pull up some photos of uh, not not when he, not how he's dressed on the show, but like he's actually very symmetrical, very average features. Yeah, especially when he was younger. 
Okay, maybe when he was younger, because I've seen him recently on a docu-series where he was like in Iceland. I thought he looked like, okay, you're letting it go like uh, David Letterman. Well, all these all these celebrities are, are getting older that we're right, talking right. about. I mean, Ryan Gosling, I saw him. I, but I, someone I saw like him in Dwight... Trailer. Did he starstruck you, Ryan Gosling? No, no, I just saw no, I just oh. saw him in the trailer for the, oh, the movie. trailer. Oh, the trailer! He's actually, uh... yeah, I'm like, for example, Dwight Schrute. I look at someone like him, and as a woman, uh, let's pretend I didn't know him. If he immediately started charming me with his sense of humor, all I, is forgiven. All is forgiven. <laughs> Fantasy land, yeah. and and if anyone says that's not true. I'm fucking lying, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Because yeah, let's see the ex-boyfriends. I think yeah. Marilyn Monroe said it best. If he can make you laugh, he can make you do anything. Mm-hmm. I think. I think that's a huge currency for for men. Well, I think women. it's a current. It's a currency for women as well. Um, but we sure. do see. I mean, someone. I was just at a conference in London, and um, oh my god, so funny. So they were talking about the sex difference and what people rate as good humor. So okay. everyone says, "Oh, I want someone with a good sense of humor." Yeah. Women, what's a good sense of humor? Someone who makes me laugh. Men, what's a good sense of humor? Someone who laughs at my jokes. Right. Yes. So, yes. So a sense of humor is valued in women, but it's valued in a different way. And this You're is part so of the reason right. why women, when women are interested in a man, they'll signal that they find him funny. Yes. Um, I remember, God, I, I had an ex-girlfriend who would always get mad after parties and stuff because she'd, she'd be like, um, uh, she'd be like, "You're not funny. These girls just think you're good looking." You know what I mean? Like that's <laughs> like that's the only thing that's actually happening. Ouch. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but but in any case, um, but you're you're you are right. A man wants you to laugh at their jokes. I actually find it's very few men, even if they do find me funny, they don't want to admit that I could be funnier than they are. Or yeah, more funny that's interesting. Could be an ego thing. Yeah. I mean, humor is a great trait because it advertises. Or even look at women com- comedians. Their audience tends to be far more women than men. Versus yeah. a male comedian yeah, can true. really can be 50-50. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. I, I, w- I, w- I would say that humor mm-hmm. this is this is from jeffrey miller but the i the basic idea he's an evolutionary psychologist and the basic idea which i think is true is that humor is just a signal that your brain works because to to be funny you have to pick up on so many little cues you have to sure. synthesize them like speed seems to be an element of what makes things funny yes. right like you have Delivery. to get the timing right um like you can't say a joke 15 minutes later for some reason it doesn't you know what i mean like you can't make a joke about a scenario 20 minutes later, your yeah. punchline comes out. That doesn't really work. Yeah. So humor seems to require all this cognitive capacity. Right. And so as a mating signal and as a social signal, it might just be a way of communicating, hey, my mm-hmm. brain works. I'm intelligent. Yeah, definitely. Do and you, we definitely see that people are attracted to intelligence. Do you think um, I you had a TikTok where you're talking about like um, trying to raise your uh, perceived value? Do yeah. you think humor is something that men should always strive to get to kind of raise their value? Or I you mean, think it's... I mean, there's nothing more annoying than a guy who's trying to be funny and he's not. So, <laughs> well, yeah, uh, if they I can't deliver it. If you're properly. funny, if you're funny, you definitely want to lean into that. Yeah, um, yeah. But in terms of raising your value, I mean, funnily enough, the thing, the place where it's easiest to raise your mate value is looks. It's the easiest yeah. way to raise your mate value. Um, and people don't think of it. They think like, oh, your your looks are the predetermined thing and it's your personality that you can change. But personality what traits are look, very stable. What look would probably give you the most bang for your buck? Is it teeth? Fixing your nose? Do, mm. Is there any type of data behind this? Fixing your teeth is huge. I would um, think that's huge. Getting taller, um, making yourself look taller uh, is big. Um, making yourself look broader is is, is another bit that we're talking for men. For men, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I would say tall, broad, 
fixing your smile if there's something to be fixed. Yeah. Um, and then it would be more niche things like skincare. A good haircut obviously can have a huge impact. Yeah. I mean, we all know guys who it's like looks terrible until they've told they, they got their hair sorted. Yes. Um, but I would say that the basic advice for men, and there's so much that I could get into, but it would be fix your style such that, um, you know, it emphasizes your shoulder to hip ratio a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, make sure that you're picking out t-shirts that actually fit right. If you're wearing a jacket, make sure it has a little bit of structure, those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, hit the gym religiously and focus on building bigger shoulders. And if you need to lose weight to get a narrower, narrower waist, then yeah. that will help as well. Weight loss helps if it changes that variable. Otherwise, it doesn't seem to be that important. Okay. Um, so what is it about the shoulders? It just just the perceive of being larger, stronger. Yeah, larger, but shoulder to hip ratio and chest to waist ratio and chest chest to hip ratio as well. Mm-hmm. And also shoulder to waist ratio. All these ratios basically that correlate with this kind of V shape. V shape, okay. Seems to help with fighting ability. Um, uh, and okay. it, it kind of makes sense. I mean, thinking as someone mm-hmm. who boxed, the rotation of the shoulders relative mm-hmm. to the hips, if there's more broadness there, you've just got more... Yeah. He's got more rotation to a strike. But that's whether not the same for well, women? Well, women don't fight as much as men. I mean, like 95% of all violence. You haven't been to Miami? No. Yeah. Well, <laughs> even in Miami, it's like, let's look at let's look at who's shooting each other in Miami, who's attacking yeah. each other in Miami. It's going to be mostly men. Um, and the, mm. in every culture on earth, men are more violent than women. Yeah. And sexual selection has responded accordingly with women selecting yeah. for traits that help men um not die yeah i'm not saying that that's a huge factor now i'm just saying right. that there's a there's a hangover from that selection yeah so for women what could they do physically to raise their perceived yeah. value so again exercising in such a way that the waist to hip ratio expands mm-hmm. um and most women already know this i don't feel like i'm yeah. saying anything that's new to women right right um so it's gonna sound kind of dumb to have a man that's kind of interesting so uh, they they like the uh, the hourglass up to a should, point yeah. up to a point, but then you know the perceived beauty from like Victoria's Secret is well though that this has changed but probably ten year about ten year gap of this um, to be ultra slender no hips like yeah flamingo legs yeah so we see I'm really interested in the BMI research because it varies across cultures and um, there are some I was just reading a study on the plane over here mm-hmm. that suggested that in some African groups um and then there's Africa is just such a diverse continent so, yeah. so I, and I really want everyone to uh, I mean Africa has the most diversity of any continent it's it's just incredible it has more there's more diversity in Africa than the rest of the world combined um but this, so when I say some African groups, I really do mean like a, I'm not talking about all Africans. Yeah, yeah. Or all African cultures, but we see that there are some groups that have a, that the preference is for women who, on a BMI chart, would be morbidly obese. Um, we're mm-hmm. talking like a BMI of up to 38 is considered sexy, right? Whereas in yeah. the West, we see BMIs closer to 20 being considered yeah. sexy. So let's let's talk about let's talk about weight. Um, women tend to overshoot male desire in their dieting efforts Mm -hmm. they tend to overestimate how important thinness is to women's attractiveness and um when the first studies on weight and waist to hip ratio were done it was actually during it was during the 90s it was Mm -hmm. during this time when the super skinny as as you said flamingo legs look was really in 
And so they brought men into the lab and they kind of had the expectation that men would prefer thinner women. Mm -hmm. At least in those studies, that's not what they found. Okay. They found that men preferred women with a narrow waist relative to their hips, kind of regardless of how heavy they actually were. So oh, you could have a very heavy woman, like someone who is objectively, from a BMI perspective, would be considered just technically obese. Yeah. But she's considered very attractive because she mm -hmm. has a narrow waist and broad hips. And honestly, this is one kind of, it's not a gripe. But it's one kind of caveat that I always like to put out there about plus size models. Uh -huh. There have been studies actually from my alma, one of my alma maters, um, Boston University, mm -hmm. um, where they looked at they looked at plus size models, the, the highest earners. And what did they find? They found that they have very conventional bodies in terms of they have narrow waists and broad hips. These aren't like normally heavy women or normally obese or normally overweight women. These are women who are overweight and I'm using just the technical term in terms of BMI, and there's some issues with that. Some people are yeah. overweight but very healthy. They shouldn't lose weight. They've got ratios that are in the genetic elite, right? Yeah. Um, so I would say that- They're more symmetrical. Well, it's- Even it's, though they're heavier. Yeah, so they, they, do tend to be, they do tend to be more symmetrical, but I'm talking about the, the waist to hip ratio. So mm -hmm. I keep saying that. What, what I'm talking about is narrow here uh -huh. and wide at the hips. Yeah. So narrow just below the chest and then yeah. wide at the hips. That's what seems to be selected for uh, in men. Yeah. I see. Because like Ashley Graham, the famous uh, plus size model, she was yeah. on Sports Illustrated. Uh, I mean, she's absolutely gorgeous. I mean, and but I find her face so incredibly symmetrical um, and I and I completely see and, and understand the attractiveness. But even her body, I this might sound terrible, but it's just how I see it. Um, it looks like she gained the weight proportionally. Yeah, she gained. So she gained weight in in a way that would. You know, and I, I kind of I feel slightly uncomfortable talking about specific women's bodies as a man. Like I don't want to. I don't want to sound a certain type no, of, of way. Course. But just objectively, mm -hmm. this is a woman who, like some kind of weird misogynists online, talk about like oh plus size models, plus size models like that. Mm -hmm. They're so unattractive. But it's yeah. like. Most of these plus size models are more attractive, much more attractive than any of these men's girlfriends or wives. Yeah. Um, and just from a evolutionary psychology perspective, they kind of conform to everything that we'd expect. I mean, are they a little heavier than most Western preference studies? Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, sometimes a lot heavier. But in terms of the evolutionary psychology literature, they've got highly symmetrical feminine faces. They've got very feminized bodies. And yes, some of these women will be over 200 pounds, but they will be carrying that weight in the most femin feminine way possible. Right. Um, so the very stereotypical hourglass figure is seen, uh, it's seen, it's seen across these high earning plus size models. There are exceptions, but that's not the norm. Yeah, absolutely. The ones who are getting lots of work are conforming to our most fundamental beauty standards. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I did want to talk about body count. Yeah. So what is the science? What is the average body count for men and for women? And I guess it varies on age, obviously, because this might not be average for Miami, but it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's Miami's like if, five thousand. If we exclude no, if we yeah, if we exclude. If we exclude virgins from the data set and look okay. at the CDC data and mm -hmm. we look at people 25 to 44, which I think is the best window because we were kind of post-college, that kind of thing. Sure. Um, we're, if we include 18-year-olds, you're going to get so many people who have 
only slept with one person. Sure, sure. Um, so let's start the data at 25. Let's go up to 44. Mm -hmm. um, so we're not just capturing too many married people. Okay. Um, looking at that group um, by CDC data and excluding virgins, because virgins would pull the number down, mm -hmm. the average body count in America using a representative sample is six for men and four for women. And that, that's, that's median, which is a better thing. So a lot of people think, oh my God, that's shockingly low. And it's like- <laughs> I really felt that was low. <laughs> yeah. So, well, here's the thing. Uh, you have to think beyond your social circle. Yeah. So think about, you know, think about people who weren't sexually out there in college, right? Who were focused on their studies. Think about people who are religious. Think about people who didn't go to university who are working in like a sleepy Midwestern town. We're talking about America. We're talking about yeah. America as a whole. Yeah. And America is That's a very a diverse people, diverse place with lots of different lifestyles, lots of different beliefs. And um, and then also, what do we see? We see that promiscuity even even on college campuses. Yeah. It's a tiny percentage of people having sex with everyone in that group. Yeah. Right. So it's a small group of people with very high body counts who are all sleeping with each other, and then everyone else is basically getting a girlfriend, getting a boyfriend, sleeping yeah. with them only for a few years. They break up. They get a new girlfriend, sleep only with them. Maybe they have a one-night stand somewhere in there. Maybe they have sure. a friends with benefits situation at some point, and then they get married. So that's, you know, you that's end up at around four, five, six, nothing crazy. Yeah, that's a great people. point. The, the promiscuous ones probably commingle the most in the sense of like they're always with each yeah. other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's true. I think uh, Hollywood tends to highlight them. And to push this narrative like, oh, you're in college, you know, fuck everybody, do what you got to do, which most people it, don't do that. They don't. And it's not realistic. But a lot of people don't want to. That's that's the other you thing. You think it, so? OK, I was going to say it's not sure. realistic because of studies, work. A lot of people are very averse to that. Okay. Like the process of getting naked with a stranger for a huge portion of people is actually highly unpleasant. Okay. Like it's just like. Oh my God, like I would never do that. Like yeah. they have it, maybe it's religious leanings, but also it's mm -hmm. just that sex is a risky activity and Absolutely. it's a very intimate activity. I, I mean, the anthropologist Helen Fisher, she, she said to me, there's no such thing as casual sex um, <laughs> because the hormones involved, they, they're not, I'm paraphrasing her, but they're, they're not playing it. They're not playing a casual game. Yeah. Um, it's a serious thing to do to sleep with somebody. Yeah. Um, so the average body count is a lot lower than people think. Um, and two things to kind of push, because I already know, because I, I went viral for this months ago, mm -hmm. um, just for saying this. I literally, I didn't say anything else in the video. I just said, this is the average body count according to the best data set we have on yeah. body count. And it converges with basically every other data set on body. It's not a surprising yeah. finding. Um, a lot of people push back. And I understand why, because I, because I know some of those people. And it's like, birds of a feather flock together. So mm -hmm. a lot of people with high body counts, they're going to have high body count friends, right? They're yeah. not going to be, if you're someone who's, sleeping with a new guy every weekend. You're not going to be friends with someone who's, you know, an evangelical Christian, most likely. No. And a lot of Americans are evangelical Christians. So those yeah. are going to be a lot of single digit sure. or one person body counts. That's a good point. In the, in the numbers. Then the second thing, the average, and this is a very confusing thing to understand, but most likely average person that you sleep with is going to have a higher body count than average mm. because that person is sleeping with more people than average. So they get seen by more people, uh, right? Okay. So whose body count do we actually know? The only body count you actually know is your own. And then it's kind of maybe what your friends have told you, right? And friends lie. Like people aren't always obvious, honest about their body count. And maybe lying is accounting for the CDC data. I don't think it is because men okay. tend to exaggerate their body count. Sure. And men are still saying six. 
Okay. So that's uh, that's not that high. Like if they're yeah. exaggerating to six, yeah. it's they're, they're not exaggerating that much. So I, so I would really push back against people saying that they're deflating it. Maybe there's a slight inflation by men and deflation by women. And that's why we right. see six and four. Yeah. Um, because technically it should be the same. Um, but 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 men are also more likely to be virgins. There more of them are excluded from the data set, and then the ones that are included are on the higher echelon. Uh, got it. Um, but that's just the likely math behind it. But it's like whose body count do we know? It's like I think a lot of it comes from the fact that the main people who we ask body count are maybe people who we've we're about to sleep with or we've right. just slept with. It's like kind of a curiosity question. It's like how many people have you banged? You know, like yeah. how many people have you done this with? Which and, they'd more be inclined to lie at that point. Well, maybe, but they're going to say a higher number than you're just going to get if you sample a random person. I mean, that's the thing. A man if that if will you say took, a higher number or anyone would say a higher no, number? No, anyone would say a higher number if they're being even slightly honest because they will have slept with more people as a result of the fact that they're more likely to be sleeping with you. Like the average oh, okay, person you sleep right. with, again, it's that confusing thing. Yeah. yeah like, it's the same phenomenon as the average person you're friends with yeah. has, has more friends than you okay. because- they just mathematically they, 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 that those people get so much exposure right that you're more likely to see them right yeah so the average person who you sleep with unless you're yourself very much up there is going to have a higher body count than you and that's going to warp your perception because that person's getting around so much that, that in order for you to see them in yeah. the first place i mean that was a huge thing when i was growing up uh you know like if your body count got over I swear to God, if it went over two, I mean, two or three, like you were considered like absolute slut, like how could you, blah, blah, blah. But now it seems that uh, society is being, is pivoting. And I think it's a lot more acceptable that women have just as healthy of a sexual appetite as men, that there's men from that era that still kind of push this narrative that like women with very high body count is a sub woman or a sub why do you think they still do that oh it's a good question they say they do it because of the research on body count which yeah. shows that people with higher body counts are more likely to be unfaithful they're less likely to be satisfied in monogamous relationships um more likely to get divorced you know there's a, mm. there's a lot of negative correlations with body count yeah but and they say that it's because of the research but then it's like the research shows the same effects in men and you're not yeah. saying that men with high body counts are problematic. Oftentimes, these same guys are saying that men with high body counts are like successful or good. So right. it's like, eh, it's, it doesn't seem to be a research-driven idea. I don't know. Um, there's some study. I mean, my friend Alexander, who's a graduate student, he ran a survey and it, and it wasn't a representative sample, mm -hmm. but he found that the men who cared the most about body counts were the least sexually successful. Mm, so it could sense. be, yeah, so it could be, I mean, they certainly seem it. Um, maybe them <laughs> ranting about body count is... Maybe the ranting about body count is what's causing no one to want to fuck them. But right. the um, but 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 so hot. We see that yeah yeah yeah. The first thing a girl wants to hear is how, <laughs> how women's sexuality is evil. That's really going to turn yes. it on. But the underlying factor that we see mm -hmm. is that women is that okay. Men who care more about body count, at least in his survey, mm -hmm. men who cared more about body count tended to have low body counts themselves. Mm -hmm. And that could be because they're religious. It could be because they have religious beliefs about that. It could be higher disgust sensitivity. Yeah. Um, so they're obviously not going to have casual sex if they're really easily grossed out by that kind of thing. Or it could be sour grapes. This was Alexander's theory, um, which was that, you know, you can't reach the grapes, so they're too sour. The women who are having lots of sex don't want to have sex with you. And so you say you wouldn't want to anyway. Right. Ah. So it could be that. 
One thought that I, and these are all hypotheses, none of these are tested. Um, mm-hmm. I think part of it is sexual insecurity. I think that yeah. just anecdotally, the men I know who are very successful with women and who are confident in their sexual prowess generally aren't as concerned with body count, um, yes. whereas men who are insecure tend to have a higher hang up about it. And I think that that comes from the fact that there's just more points of comparison. Like if you're just statistically, if you're sleeping with a woman for the first time and she slept with 10 dudes, what are the, what it's, it's, or nine other guys, let's say, and mm-hmm. you're number 10, it's just all else being equal, 10% chance that you're the best ever. Yeah. If it's 99 guys and you're number 100, it's a 1% chance, right? Um, so, so you yeah. got, and this is really all else being equal in the real world, all else isn't equal, but your chances of being someone's best sexual experience. I mean, everyone's going to tell you that you're yeah. their best sexual experience, but most of the times, if they've slept with lots of people, that's going to be a lie. And I think that yeah. some men know that and they won't admit it, but I think that that's why some men care about body count if I had to guess. It's also, I find, a lazy way of thinking because so one thing I heard, I used to hear a lot growing up, it's like, oh, if you have a high body count, you're loose. It's like, okay, so if I sleep with 10 men one time each, but I've slept with you 50 times... I mean, what is my vagina doing then? <laughs> oh, 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 loose physically. That's yes. funny. Yeah, that's stupid. Yeah, that so like, I always like thought that was very lazy and just stupid thinking. But that was a that was a big thing. When yeah, I, was growing I don't up. know what the what. It's almost like their brain's not working. They're right. Yeah, because that, that <laughs> and I was just like mathematically like if you, uh, doesn't if you, work. Yeah, like if you have sex with one guy, even if that could happen, but also just. I mean, okay, again, I don't know how much we want to get into the weeds here, but. <laughs> The human vagina recovers from giving birth. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, I don't know how well hung these guys are claiming to be, but they're not competing with a newborn baby. No. Like, I mean, like, this is insane. Well, honestly. So, uh, so, so the vagina is very, you know, um, it, it, it can, it can recover from a lot. Yes. And then also it. It can you know, take ex- a beating. It, it can, can take a and beating. it can also expand <laughs> and contract relative to yeah. the size of the individual who they're with at that at that time so yeah absolutely. The, the looseness thing is insane it's obviously not true and and yeah. your basic point is the only one worth making really i, <laughs> I, I don't even know why i brought up the pregnancy thing but yeah i mean that's the that's the other thing i hear a lot of these guys i'm like do none of you have mothers do you know none, none of you have sisters yeah how can you speak about women this way absolutely and then sometimes i say who hurt you does her yeah. name start with m o m right it could be mommy <laughs> issues it could also yeah. be though i think a lot of these red pill guys i'm really psychologizing here yeah, I think a lot of them went through some horrible heartbreak and just weren't strong enough to recover. I think that's a good amount of them. Yeah, and then I think another group of them, the incels, for example, I think that they are they become. I'm not not all. I just spoke to one of the leading experts on inceldom, and not all of them are misogynistic, but misogyny definitely runs loose in this in this mm. culture, this culture of being unwanted, essentially. Yeah, and I think a lot of them have just had the very painful experience, just frankly of yeah. being rejected by women their entire lives. Mm-hmm. And that in scientific studies, it's not, this is not speculation. Being rejected by women correlates with misogyny. Mm-hmm. Right? So I can't remember. I think it's a, I think it's a song lyric, but they, but they quote it. It's like women are wicked when you're unwanted. Right? <laughs> yes. And it's like, yeah. And men, and men are, men are, you know, I'm sure that it goes the other way too. I'm sure that most of the women who say men are trash, um, mm-hmm. They probably have had bad experiences with men, right? I, I don't think, I, don't think, I mean, yeah. I haven't seen a study on that, but that would be, that would be my guess um, because I know lots of women who adore men and mm-hmm. those are women who are very successful with men and who men adore back. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. Do we see this in in animal behavior when when a male is rejected? Would he ever do something to um, like counter attack or lash out? Interesting. I mean, language. I'm not saying we're the only animal with language. We're not, but complex structural ideological language Mm -hmm. allows for a lot of the incel phenomenon is interesting because it's new in the sense that the movement is new and Mm -hmm. the conscious awareness of their state is new but incels have always existed there's always been men who have been rejected by women their entire lives yeah but before the internet these men were so isolated from each other that they couldn't create a social group. yeah absolutely I would say that other animals, we don't see that. The typical state is, um, you know, we, we see like with gorillas that are not, and I'm not a gorilla scientist, so I, mm-hmm. so I might be making a bad analogy. I apologize for any primatologists listening, <laughs> but we do see that gorillas who, who don't att- obtain or are too young to obtain silverback status or, yeah. or alpha status. Yeah. And alphas aren't really a thing in humans. I know that everyone talks about alphas and beats, That's And I understand where the concept appeals, but that's not how humans work. Yeah. But in any case, um, we see that these groups that these groups of males that are excluded um, from the mating pool, they will form kind of bands of males and they'll trot around. But I'm not aware of them becoming violent or expressing any discontent towards the females in the species. But we do see that in humans. I mean, this is yeah. this is empirically supported that sexual rejects become misogynistic as a yeah. result, probably as a result of their rejection. Yeah. And I'm I'm not saying I'm not excusing it, no, no. But I do understand wh- how that logic works. Yeah. Like if I, I can put myself in their position and imagine, like, gosh, imagine if I went my entire life just constantly getting shot down by women. Um, everyone else is just effortlessly falling in love with each other. Yeah. And I'm left out. Yeah. Maybe I wouldn't be as fond of women, um, if I had had that experience of life instead of the one yeah. I did. And I think that I think that rings true for anyone who's rejected from any type of group, not yeah. even just women. So you would have that as well. Yeah, it's very it's very interesting that phenomenon. How it's uh, you know you see such uh, empowerment of women these days, and then it's just like then that bubbles up, and you have Andrew dates, and you're just like yeah. And the Andrew Tate thing. I mean, I don't think that uh, to be clear, I don't think that Andrew Tate is going to have any problems with women. I mean, he's you know he's. He's tall. He's a former world champion athlete or, or some form of championship. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. He's definitely got, I mean, maybe it's fake how much money he has or had, mm-hmm. but he's definitely got more money than the average bloke. So yeah. he actually does from just like a conventional mating perspective, mm-hmm. despite personality flaws, he would be appealing to, to lots of women, at least before all the controversy and sure. drama. And then you look at these guys like, um, since, since we're outside Miami, like you look at like fresh <laughs> and fit. Yeah. Um, these guys as well. I doubt that those guys have trouble with women, right? Like they're both, you know, they, they both seem, you know, at least average looking and yeah. they, they seem to have money and they're, they're now they're, but they're not going to get a high value woman with the way they act. Maybe right. no, but no, because of the controversy, they probably will struggle. Um, yes. but what I'm, but what I'm, the point I'm getting at is yeah. that the leaders of these movements they might have a gripe against women, but it might not come from personal failings with women. Like I think, I think some of them will have been heartbroken, and that's going to have changed their view of women. Sure. Um, some of them were just are just kind of bad eggs. Maybe they were just always going to be that way. Yeah. Um, but my my general impression, again, it goes back to the thing. It's like, do none of these guys have sisters, mothers? Mm-hmm. Like, how can they? Some yeah. of the things they say about women are so vitriolic and so unrealistic that it's yeah. just 
I just can't even believe what I'm hearing. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. I, I agree with you. I, I feel the same way. So after all your studies, um, you know, doing your dissertation on infidelity, what is your final conclusion about monogamy? Do you believe that we are a monogamous species? Do you yeah. believe that we can, it can be expanded? Or what are your views on monogamy, period? Almost every monogamous species has extra pair behavior. This is, this is yeah. a conclusion that when I export my ideas to the public, I get this coming back at me a lot. This idea that like, oh, maybe monogamy is not natural. Mm -hmm. I would say that sexual monogamy is common, but not the only thing we do. We are also sexually unfaithful. But I would say that the social monogamy is the norm in our species. Yeah. Um, and, and I would say that for a variety because some people, they, you know, they, they read like... Um, What's that? There's some, there's some, some anthropologist wrote a book about how we're meant to be polyamorous. But in any case, in any case, <laughs> just look at our evolved psychology. Love yeah. is a very one person centered emotion. We yeah. see it across cultures. It facilitates pair bonding. Jealousy also tends to be pretty focused as an emotion. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about love in terms, there's a few types of love, but I'm talking about like obsessive infatuated love. It tends right. to be single person focused, although there are exceptions. Jealousy also tends to be, you know, guarding one person. You look at our physique, we, mm -hmm. as sexually dimorphic as we might be, we're, we're not sexually dimorphic compared to gorillas, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like there, there are species that monogamy isn't natural for, right. those species, yeah. there's a little more dimorphism than what we see. Um, it yeah. says a lot about our species that with the right makeup and outfit, I mm -hmm. could look a lot like a woman this afternoon, yeah. right? No matter how you dress up a gorilla. <laughs> they right, like, right, they right. look like whatever sex they were born as. And that for for reasons that I described earlier in the podcast, I won't re-explain it, just rewind, that mm. correlates with monogamy. Okay. Um, because there's less it implies there's less sexual competition, males. And yeah. sexual competition is higher. There there are there I go, I just re-explained it. Yeah. No rewind necessary. And then we also look at what humans do. Yeah. Imagine if we were to say, um, when we look at when we look at another species. Do we see them all doing something and then say, hmm, but is this natural for them? You know, like if all of the pigeons, <laughs> if all of the pigeons are perching mm -hmm. on cliff-like objects, mm -hmm. do we say, hmm, is it natural for them to push, to, to perch on cliff-like? No, we just accept it, yeah. right? If, um, if all of the, um, you know, the, the seagulls are, um, are eating crustaceans, do we say, oh, but is it natural for them to eat? No. No. We just look at what most of them are doing and we say, oh, that's a natural behavior. Mm -hmm. In humans, what are most of us doing? Most humans live in cultures where monogamous relationships are the only ones that are formally acknowledged. Mm -hmm. And then even though many cultures have alternate, humans are flexible. We can do polyandry. We can do poly polygamy. Yeah. I said that multiple times on this. But if we look at cultures that permit polygamy or permit polyandry, most of the people still only ever enter into monogamous relationships. So even when people are allowed to do other things, yeah. they choose to do monogamy. So the vast majority, <laughs> yeah. So the vast majority, yeah, it's simple. The vast yeah. majority of people have mm -hmm. inclinations towards monogamy. Got it. And I would say that social monogamy is the natural mating pattern of our species, Got maybe it. serial social monogamy. Mm -hmm. So this isn't one person for life. It's one person at a time. At a time, yeah. And then occasionally, um, in circumspect cases that, that are quite common, but not the majority of cases, affairs, infidelity. Yeah. And most people don't cheat on their primary partner, especially yeah. after they've been married. So, right. I mean, if, if you ask people, have you ever cheated on anyone ever, then mm -hmm. most people will say that they have at some point on someone yeah. at, uh, someday. But if you look at married couples and it's like, have you 
ever slept with someone other than your wife after you guys got married, most men will say no. Most women will say no as well. So I would say that the norm for our species is social and sexual monogamy. But as part of that, we Mm -hmm. also have infidelity as a sub-strategy within it. Again, I mean, on basically every podcast I go on, there's this kind of confusion. It it becomes a sticking point. But this is what we see with all monogamous animals. Like when you see birds pairing up outside, some of those birds are going to cheat or have affairs, (laughs) Right. right? That's part of it. And that doesn't mean that they're not monogamous. It just means that they're yeah. that that particular couple isn't sexually monogamous, even though they're still presenting as socially monogamous. This has been extremely eye opening. I also want a little bit about your background. So, did you know you always wanted to be a scientist? No, no. no. So this when did the, that I'm kind shocked of shocked by how this happened? <laughs> I mean, there's a, there, there, yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know how this happens. No one ever would have guessed it. Did your parents like hold academia like in a high no. regard for you? No, just one day you're. I just, never. I never really considered it. I, I didn't really start thinking about it until college and then Mm -hmm. even then i graduated college and wasn't going to do academia oh really Um, yeah not necessarily it was a possibility i mean i'd um i got good grades in undergrad and i was very focused on my studies i would even say obsessed with these topics um like but you didn't know what you were going to know if you like make a monetary decision with it like yeah i didn't know what was going to happen i've kind of just I've accidentally ended up. I'm. 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 I'm totally surprised by how my life. It's, it's very peculiar <laughs> yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, Did and you very think mysterious. Thought like possibly the boxing career would take off or something yeah, of that nature. The, the, yeah, it was weird because I, like, <laughs> w- when I started boxing, I was very successful, and I was like, oh, like I'm gonna be. This is what this is what I'm gonna do with my life. And then it just became increasingly exotic as I got older. I mean, I, I think that with boxing, it was like a huge part of the effect was mm-hmm. I hit puberty very early. Yeah. And they match people with they matched you with people your own age. Oh, really? Okay. So I actually didn't lose until I started fighting adults. <laughs> right. So I, and I started fighting adults when I was 17. Mm-hmm. And my first I, I had fought against adults in smokers like exhibition bouts um, yeah. and done well. But they weren't like it was kind of circus act stuff. Gotcha. Um, like I fought a guy who was like fresh back from Afghanistan. and was oh like, God. oh, like see the come see the 14 year old fight the soldier or whatever. Um, and that was fun, but he didn't really know what he was doing. So it was yeah. kind of easy to fight oh, so him. Yeah. Okay. But again, it was an exhibition. Um, but then, I, but my first fight in the adult ranks, uh, I believe I was 16 and it was like I'd been thrown into a washing machine. I didn't, I didn't get knocked out, but I did lose. And then from there, my career was kind of, it was kind of wins and losses mixed in. And so it was mm-hmm. like, I, I, I did get a New England championship when I was, um, when I was young but I think a huge part of that was that I had hit puberty earlier. And so it was like, it was kind of like a grown man fighting a boy of the same weight. Like I was like this very lanky, like, <laughs> ma- like people thought, yeah. I remember being in middle school and people would mistake me for a college freshman. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I was in middle school dating girls in high school because ah, they thought I was in high school. I love that. Yeah. Dating up, dating up. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> so, so it was, you know, it was, um, yeah, it was fun. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming by. It was amazing. This is a great podcast. I had a great time. And yeah. uh, hope to see you again. Yeah. All right. Thanks, for Thanks so me much. Out. 